Right, hey, so it's a bit confusing. This is a Too Much Monday podcast with Max Levy and me, but it was recorded in two separate weeks. So we first recorded the first one last week on a Saturday and part two on the previous Saturday. Right now it's Wednesday, the 2nd of January. But yeah, that's it. Just wanted to let you know. Enjoy the first episode of the Too Much Monday podcast. I got two, 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 too much Monte. Right, hey, uh, welcome to the first episode of Too Much Monte with uh, me, but also uh, my guest, or I guess permanent guest, uh, Max Levy, is it right? Levy? Max Levy, uh, yeah, at Rangers King 669 on Twitter with my guy at Mavericks Monte on Twitter, co-hosts. Yep. What a do. Yep. Basically co-hosting, so uh, even though I just introduced it, I think uh, Max is going to ask a lot of questions, but I'm going to do that as well, so yeah. Got to so, have that uh, boss movement. Yes. Uh, the first thing uh, you wanted to talk about was a, a bit about Gonzaga, right? Yes, I'd love to. You want to ask questions, you want me to just go straight from the top? I mean, I don't really know anything about it because I don't really follow that much college. So just go straight into it. All right, let's go. All right. First off, we have uh we have Rui Hachimura. He's oh, yeah. uh like uh six foot eight, six foot nine, two hundred and twenty-five pound uh uh big man, which is kinda annoying because he's really undersized, but he's he's very much jacked. But uh the problem with Rui Hachimura is his uh, defensive instincts are lacking. He uh, often right. gets lost off the ball. I remember this it's very uh, iconic play. You can find it all over draft Twitter. There's this one play where he was playing against Tennessee, and he got completely turned around because he made the wrong rotation, and he left his man wide open for three to, to seal the game. And uh, that, was, that was bad. And then uh, another thing is he doesn't really know how to play make yet, so oftentimes when he's driving in transition, getting off a rebound, he uh, often just drives into the defense and gets a charge, gets charged on, or uh, he just kind of loses the ball because he's just too aggressive, doesn't really know what he's doing, just trying to bird his way in there with his with his body and try to make something happen. But he, he he's definitely his grab and go playmaking ability is very much uh, an interesting thing to see, and it provides a lot of uh, upside. Okay. How how tall is he again? Six foot eight, six foot nine. Is it you want really me to go? I'm sorry. You want to go then? Do you want me to go in? Do you want to go and go in on his offense, or just uh, you save the rest? Well, now I had a question first about like why is it required of him to be a playmaker when he's when he's like that big? Well, it just it provides more upside. So I'm saying, just the the more you can do, the more upside you have, right? It's just that's kind true. of how it works. Yeah. I mean, he still sounds like a great player, except that he's, it's defense, like you said, isn't really great. Well, he's got some offensive issues, too. Like, the playmaking is a big problem because it just it, it hurts his upside because, I mean, he'll still be a decent player. He's still worth drafting in, like, the mid-first round. But, like, he, okay. if he got the playmaking under control and he could be uh, a bit more versatile with his jump shot, right now it's very much a set shot, and you can't really use it to... Uh, like off movement, he has to be set at the perimeter. Although the weird thing is, he has these fadeaway moves and these in his pull ups. His pull ups are 
None of them are really that are the greatest, but they're good enough that they're effective at the college level. It's going to be interesting to see how that works at the NBA level, whenever players are bigger, stronger, faster, etc. But yeah, he's made some major improvements. Where last year he couldn't hit a three at all in college level, like he was shooting like twenty five, twenty six percent, I think. Yeah, I mean, like Anthony Bennett was supposed to be like a great uh, post up player, right? And he he just didn't do any of that in the NBA, right? Yeah, Anthony Bennett just was a, even on draft night was a mind-boggling decision. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't really notice that as much as other people because I don't really follow college that much. So I was just like, why? Why was he number one? In hindsight, you know. But yeah, I guess he was, like he, he was ranked like number eight. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, that's still too high <laughs> if you think about it. But yeah. Yeah, but like, well, if I think if he ended up in a different organization, things could have worked out a little bit differently. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to hear more about Ruri Hachimura, you can uh, hear all of the juicy details on uh, my podcast, The Third Round Picks, uh, which also includes Mike Bibbins, Adam Bibbs on Twitter, and Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Moving on to the second big star for Gonzaga, we have Brandon Clark. He's uh, a little bit undersized, but he he's very very good uh, at the rim knows uh the like the perfect time to go up for the block but he's also overly aggressive at times and doesn't quite know if it's the right time like he knows it's the right time but doesn't know whether or not he should actually do it he just knows the right time to jump if he wants to do it so he sometimes gets into foul trouble for that but i think my favorite thing about him is just the the timing of his blocks is so amazing because he he can literally block uh tr- pull up jumpers in transition because he can time it perfectly and he has he's very explosive off the ground even though he's undersized and it's really incredible to watch and on offense uh he can he's a pretty good dive threat you know like he kind of looks like Dwight Powell a little bit out there but uh he's the undersized thing hurts him a little bit and he can. He sometimes gets uh, bodied up by bigger players, and uh, it kind of reduces his effectiveness on the boards. Uh, you can hear the rest of the details about Brent Clark on uh, my podcast as well. But uh, that's the general rundown of some of his uh, biggest skills and a few weaknesses. Right. So is it weird that if I'm saying from what I'm getting that he's kind of similar to like Eric Bledsoe? No, he's not. He's he's not a guard. Wait. He, oh. Oh. Okay. Sorry. I, I guess it sounded kind of like with undersized. I kind of figured like, oh, then he's like six foot. You know, that's sort of undersized for NBA. No, not uh, undersized NBA player, but positionally undersized. Like he, he's a he's a dive threat, like a big man. He he blocks shots. Like he's a six foot eight. Right. I mean, there are some some short, short guards who do that as well. That's that's kind of what I, what I was thinking. No, no, he he has some guard skill, but he's not he's not a guard All by right. any means. Like he's very much a big man or like a like a big wing at the most. But I would that'd be a little exaggerative in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really know any of these players, so it's kind of uh, oh, confusing yeah. for me for that. Yeah, I, yeah. I got you. He's like a six foot eight, two fifteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, he's he's very much an interior defender. I wouldn't really want him on the perimeter too much. Okay. Even but though he, he has, has 
he has the mobility, but he doesn't always know how the right rotation or anything. But it's it's better than Rui. <laughs> but he has some offensive game as well. You said right? Oh yeah, he can he can drive on closeouts from the perimeter. His jumper has some pretty high arc, but he just doesn't. He just doesn't do it much, so he needs a lot of development just to gain his confidence and gain practice. And uh, okay. it seems unlikely that it'll, it'll translate to the NBA level anytime soon, but it's just, it's a foundation, I guess. Yeah. Then uh, some other Zach Howard. What's that? There's some, there's some other guys on the periphery. Uh, Zach Norvell, he's the type of guy that if he gets drafted, he'll be in the late second round. Uh, he has some pretty good uh, wing skills, but his uh, defensive instincts frustrate me because he often gets beat easily because he gives up the drive angle and he gets beat, or he'll get out physical, or he just sometimes doesn't make the right decision, shoot pulls the trigger too early without realizing what he's doing, and his jumper looks kind of it kind of looks like he releases it low to me, so it's kind of easy to contest it, and the arc isn't particularly high, but all in all, he's the he's you know versatile wing kind of. You know, the quote-unquote 3 and D type of guy. You know, just someone you might want to take a bet on, like the late 40s or the 50s. Okay. If even. Or maybe you pick him up on draft, like Dorian. He's like a... I think he's like six foot six. Okay. I mean, yeah. With a 3 and D guy, a low arc is not really what you want from them. But yeah. If he can fix that, then I, uh, he sounds like a decent player. Yeah. Yeah, he just his defense isn't very good yet. It's just kind of very much needs some basic seasoning, and he might need to figure out uh, how to get in the right defensive stance a little bit because it feels like oftentimes it's not deep enough or not wide enough, and he gets beat because he's playing too upright. Just to me. Is it also like uh, a matter of like gaining weight or anything, or or is that all good? I think gaining a little bit of weight would be helpful just so that he could uh, stop guards from out-physicaling him. Because sometimes he gets out-physical, but like bigger guards and wings. Yeah, okay. Because it sounds kind of similar to like uh, Terrence Ferguson. He's like, uh, his shot is a little, little too low and he's like really skinny. But he's nowhere he's... near the, the athlete. Yeah, except for the athletic part, I guess, yeah. Terrence Ferguson can dunk on you, your mama, and me. So yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I like uh, Terrence Ferguson right now. By the way, at draft they they was kind of like uh like a work in progress, but now he, he he's really good. And I, and I think that guy you were talking about sounds a bit like that, except for the athletic part. Yeah, and it's a bit. He has a uh, less like potential at this point because he's just older. He's like a junior. All right, yeah. I mean, I always uh, don't really get why a guy needs to be like 19 to be drafted high. Like, I mean, if if the guy is just good, and he's if he's not. like 23, like Jalen Brunson, you know, no, okay, I guess he's not that good I, though. <laughs> like, I mean, Jalen Brunson, who was a second round pick, you know, he was 23, I guess, 22, and well, yeah, that extra experience helps a lot, actually, you know. Well, yeah, I'm not downplaying the experience. You just you have to be good. Yeah, yeah. Like like Norvell isn't. He's not. He's pretty decent on the college level, but I'm just not sure how good he'd be at the NBA level right away. And since he has less time to develop, it's kind of 
it's more it becomes more of a problem. Ron Sinney was really good at the college level, but the main problem with him was some a lot of the way he scored was in the post. He could post up smaller guards because he was bigger and stronger than them. But at the NBA level, this hasn't worked out for him. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think he he adapted pretty decently. Like he, from what I've heard, he's actually like you said, playing a bit differently. But he's actually doing that kind of pretty yeah, well. Yeah, but that was the reason he he was low in the draft. It was that, and then also just team. Well, I'm not saying all teams are like this, but a lot of teams want to get those wings in the second round. You don't necessarily want to get a backup point guard. Yeah. No, fair enough. Even though I am a, a big fan of Javon Carter. Yeah. So can we talk a bit about uh, mass basketball, or you still got some more? I mean, there's some other guys that Gonzaga has, but they're not particularly good. They'll probably might be in summer league next year, especially Josh Perkins, but he's like the just the four-year college guard who kind of scores and initiates a little bit, but is unlikely to translate to the NBA level just because he's not like a standout player. All right. Okay. Um, all right. We want to move on to Mavs? Yeah, sure, if you're fine with that. Uh well, first of all, I just want to say that I forgot to kind of say that this is mostly going to be like a mass podcast and a bit about the NBA. But like you like you heard, uh, sometimes I want to ask Max some uh, college questions as well, some prospect questions, because I don't really follow anything. And Max is really good at that. So that's really nice to have him as a guest for that. We talked earlier about like the that Le- uh, LeBron James, he mentioned like a lot of players he would want to play with and he mentioned like Anthony Davis and Paul George and Paul George right yeah Jimmy Butler yeah. but he also randomly like mentioned or maybe not randomly it was like, like he mentioned Luka Doncic and we were both kind of like surprised with that like that sounded really awesome like uh him being in that list you know yeah it's it's pretty awesome I wouldn't say it's surprising it just feels like LeBron usually doesn't give rookies credit that early so it's, it's yeah. gotta mean a lot that's kind of what I was thinking as well, yeah. But uh, just imagine LeBron and Luka Doncic together. Like, Luka Doncic would be his new Kyrie, basically. But that's how it would work. Even Which though, is weird, because yeah. he kind of plays like an unathletic LeBron, or less athletic. Yeah. But I yeah, guess but, that works. Well, I mean, that, like he would just be like the understudy, but he would be the guy to make all the clutch shots whenever LeBron couldn't do it. Yeah, I guess in that way, yeah. I mean, it's never going to happen, I think. Oh, no. I mean, maybe. Never. Maybe if, like... No, no. It's not Luca, happening. Luca, okay. Even if Luca leaves, LeBron is probably retired at that point. Yeah. Well, I don't think Luca's leaving anytime soon, because even when he gets restricted free agency, he's going to get re-upped for another four years. Yeah. I mean, after that, maybe. Well, that by then, LeBron would definitely be retired. He'd be, like, over 40. All right. Well, moving on to some on the court news. Uh, how how are you feeling about Maxi Kleber this year? The guy that suddenly come over and stolen all our hearts and has become clearly the math center of the future, in my opinion. How do you feel about that? It's kind of weird because when he came over, everyone kind of compared him to Dirk, and he's not like Dirk at all. Actually, like he's a decent shooter, but he's not like like Dirk with that like high release and just. Contested shots. It's more of like a guy who just takes like, looking shots and he, he, he catches lobs and he plays uh, great defense. And I mean, Dirk plays decent defense, of course. But yeah, it, 
but I'm really happy with him, and I think we could definitely like we could go and start matching next year. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think the defense is really remarkable. Just you know, everyone was. I don't think anyone expected him to be this athletic and uh, this heady on defense. His rotations are pretty awesome to see. You know, he's he's not gonna be uh, a a sieve on defense. And uh, he he can really be a major presence of the rim, despite him not being particularly tall. But his his athleticism really helps with that, and he gets a lot of blocks despite not seeming like the most intimidating presence at the rim. And it, I think it catches a lot of def- uh, opposing uh, players by surprise the first time, and I think yeah. that it really helps him a little bit. But I think even regardless of whether it's the first time or not, he still makes a major impact, and that can only help. Hopefully he doesn't get uh, paid a max contract by the Nuggets this summer. Max, I don't think of max contracts, but yeah. Well, I mean, not saying because he's worth one, but it could be like an Otto Porter situation. Yeah. Or an Alfred yeah. Camino. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But, like, in hindsight, the Mavs maybe could have offered Aminu a little more, I guess. He got ah. paid a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, um... I think he wasn't really that athletic. Uh, I mean, he was more athletic than we thought, basically because he was like uh, very injured in Europe. I think that's he right, right? In, he played in Europe. He played. He was yeah, playing yeah. for Bayern Munich all the time. He wasn't. But like, it always kind injured. of, so he couldn't really uh, use his athletic uh, his athletic Jesus, that's a fucking hard work word if you Dutch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got you. Wasn't really uh, used properly as as it is right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love Maxi Kleba. Yeah, uh, I do. One of the members on our podcast, Mike Bibbins, he's the Maxi Kleba fan club president. So. Uh, yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, I like. Uh, he's mostly just much better than DJ right now. That's that's so surprising, sort of, but. Yeah, it, it's really great, honestly. Like for him and for yeah, the team. Yeah, like another. This would be like a kind of sideways comparison, but Maxi Kleba is like a developed Brandon Clark in a lot of ways, but he's a bit more sizable than Brandon Clark, and he's Brandon Clark's significantly more athletic, but still. All right, that that sounds cool. Like I'm really interested to see Brandon Clark in summer league and stuff. Then. Yeah. Oh, don't well, don't wait for summer league. You need. Have you seen the block Brandon Clark made on East Pods in the no, Tennessee I, game? You need to see it. Like you just right. you have to see it. So, like you could literally like I could talk for five minutes just so you can go see it. Well, we're okay. we're on this podcast. If you wanted to do it that way, or we could you could watch it later. But you got to see it. It's just remarkable. That's all I'm gonna say. I'll, I'll do it afterwards. Yeah. I mean. uh I definitely later during the season I usually like uh, watch a lot of uh, highlights and stuff and uh, scout videos. It's mostly that that I watch. Sometimes if it airs here in my country I uh, catch some college games. But yeah, usually just uh, some highlights and stuff. And then summer league mostly. We wanted to talk a bit about Dorian as well. Like uh, I think mostly he should be starting. I said that earlier in a video of mine. Yeah, he's so much better than Wes's, and he's shooting better. So I just think he should be starting instead of Wes. And I don't really think, I don't really understand why Wes keeps starting. You know, it's 
kind of players, he, he would be much more much more fitting with the the bench. Should be like a vault score a bit because his de- defense isn't really what it used to be. So I think Dorian's gonna be he's in the kind of the same situation as Alfaruk Aminu was, where he's broken out, and now we're all worried he's gonna get paid. Like uh, his defensive rotations have developed pretty nicely. He's like he's very versatile. He can be an on-ball defender and an off-ball defender as a perimeter player, which is quite valuable. Yeah. And then his his shot development has been very nice. And he like you see him hit step back threes, you're like, what? Dorian Finney Smith? Yeah, like, he's showing a lot of flashes this year, and he's been much better than last year. It's really impressive. Yeah, the way he's I, been uh, renewing his shot, you know, that is yeah. really cool as well. I swear, it's like next, it's like it's like someone on some crazy Twitter group's gonna be like, Dorian Finney Smith is the is this is the secondary star. To, to Luca, yeah. and then he he becomes it somehow. I just wouldn't. It would be crazy, but it, it's like it, it's like it seems like it could happen with those step backs at this point. It's just insane. But obviously, it doesn't sound. It's not realistic or anything. Yeah, I mean, he he keeps improving. So in in some ways, it could happen. I mean, like Maxi Kluber is one of our best players statistically as well. But like, I don't see him really getting better than he is right now. But Dorian definitely definitely has like a lot of potential left. Well, I think Maxi Kleba is the kind of guy where his shot is the main thing he can develop right now. Everything else is going to be it is what it is, but what he what he is is a starting level center in this league. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, definitely on the Mavs. Like some players just work on them, and then they and they don't really perform as well as other teams. Like I think if the Nuggets got their hands on Maxi Kleba, they would immediately fix all their problems with Jokic, like immediately. Yeah, because like so. they could they could start Maxi at four, and he could play like a better defensive version of Millsap because Millsap is old. Yeah, how is Millsap playing this year? Is he isn't he? He's been injured a lot, of course. Yeah, he's been injured again. He's out for the season, I think. Sucked, yeah. So has some injury problems as well. But I think, yeah, you're right. I think the Nuggets are going to try to get Maxi next year, definitely. And the weird thing is their cap isn't in the best situation, so I'm not exactly sure how much they can offer to try to lull yeah. him away. Yeah, that's fair. So what do you think about the Dirk situation? Like, he's been playing, like, six or eight. Like, and basically, like, uh, Maxi a lot of the times like should play at that point but then Dirk can set plays so then Maxi comes in later it's really just weird and experimentative and yeah what are your thoughts on that I guess it's it's frustrating because we want Dirk to play but I want Maxi to play so it's it's a weird conundrum um all in all I think the best move honestly we need to take away like like at least five of DeAndre's minutes, yeah, I and agree. give it to Dirk. Take away like five of uh, Wes's minutes, give it to Dirk, and yeah. then that's what Dirk plays every game. Ten minutes. That's all he needs. That's but I don't think. I don't even think. Of, I don't even know Max. if he can play anymore right now. So. Who Dirk? I, I, he can't play anymore right now. He can't play more than that. Like he's he's oh, no, no. he's yeah. barely walking. Yeah, 
it, it was kind of bad the last couple of years, but this year it's, it's, it's a lot worse. And I think he really realizes, and this is definitely his last year. Like, maybe if he keeps playing like five or ten minutes every year, every game, but I don't think he wants to play more. Like, uh, if you see him walking and stuff, yeah, I, I think he's kind of done now. Yeah, I just don't want this to be like the KGs last year where he was just horrible and he didn't play. And when he did play, he looked horrible. Like, he didn't do anything. And Tim Duncan started playing like 10 minutes a game as well, like in his last year, I think. And you knew that at that point that kind of his, his career was over, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, but at least Tim Duncan can make himself look good. You know, he can try. Yeah. He's, he just he knows the game well enough and he doesn't rely on athleticism. I mean, that's the same with Dirk. So Yeah, but Dirk, just he's coming back around injury, so I'm not saying he'll get it back together enough that he'll look okay. I'm just saying I just don't want it to end up like KG. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think if he if he get it back together and starts playing as well as he did last year, maybe he'll still consider coming back next year. I think if the Mavs make the playoffs, he's going to really think about it. Because yeah. uh, if he comes much- back... He'd be the all-time leader in NBA seasons. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for Dirk, it seems kind of like dependent much fun So if into the playoffs, he's a lot more fun than I think he's going to stay another another year. But if it's like a frustrating year, like last year, I think yeah, he doesn't really enjoy that as much. I think it's safe to say we're the Mavs are not going to be like last year. No, absolutely. And I think it, it, this season right now, by the way, has been kind of weird because they started like two and seven, but then yeah. they came back to like something like 12, like 13 and nine or something they were at one point, I think, which is and, really good. Yeah, now they're like 16, like 15 and 16 or 15 and 17. Wasn't it 14 and 14, I thought? Well, they, I don't know. I, that's just what I think it was. Uh, the mass record enough. is uh, 15 and 15. All right. Yeah. So 0.500, which doesn't sound so bad, but like they've been on the losing streak of like four games, right? Yes. And yeah. it's likely that streak's going to continue. Yeah, I think so too. It's so weird because they, they, they have been playing really well. And I think even though Luca is, is a rookie and yeah, he shouldn't be like the 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 team shouldn't have to depend on him on him as much. But I think he's been playing less well recently, and I think that really takes a toll on the team. Also, maybe the injuries. You know, JJ has been out a lot, and I think DJ's defense and extra scoring really like he goes coast to coast a lot and stuff. I think they really miss that mostly. I mean, JJ just played, and yeah. so did Luca. Luca dropped his career high. Yeah, and and JJ played pretty dang well too. I think the problem is we need Luca and JJ to play in order to win, and then in order to be a good team, you need Dorian to play really well, and you need Maxi Kleber to play at least twenty minutes. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, kind of feels like since Dirk has been back, they've been playing less well because Maxi has been playing less, and Dirk is kind of struggling a bit. It's, I mean, it's that a bit. Maxi has a toe injury, so it's 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 a bit of both. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but they'll, they'll I I think they'll turn it around eventually, like in a, in a, in a week or something. 
I hope hopefully the, uh, Dennis Smith is will be back like next week, and then they'll pick it up. I, I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm not even sure how the weird thing is. Dennis, you see all the numbers, and you see Dennis doesn't have a positive impact on winning, and you see the record with Dennis. But I think what Dennis needs at this point, he needs some. He needs some fire lit under him or something. Like yeah. I think Rick needs to bench him and show him who's boss, and then let Dennis prove that he deserves to start again after Brunson's been playing better than Dennis was playing, which still isn't that great, but it's better. Yeah, I think that's actually something perfect for him. Like he, he really needs some motivation and stuff and he also he always always wants to prove himself. So yeah, I think I agree with you. Like if he comes off the bench that will like give him some like motivation and stuff and yeah. And I think low key Dennis off the bench would be really nice. Yeah, I think you'll feel you actually yeah fit that role really well. He's like a spark plug a little bit. He can just do what he wants, like take weird step backs and now now he has to really like play off ball and play like how Rick wants him. And I think when he comes off the bench, he can just be more of himself. I think yeah. I think he could be like uh our bigger version of Den- of not Dennis of uh Nate Robinson. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good one. Yeah. Because like he came off the bench all the time was that spark plug. Yeah, I like that comparison. Yeah, like that'd be really interesting for this season if he could start playing like that sort of role at least. I honestly I would want him to play that role all the time because I just don't think it's gonna work very well this season for him to be starting with Luca. I'm not saying he can't play with Luca, but don't be at the start of the game where he's playing against starters. Let it be where Luca is playing against some bench dudes and then you play with Dennis so that way they can work well together, gain some chemistry just by playing better. Yeah. I mean yeah, getting off the bench isn't really that that doesn't mean that he's not good or anything that could actually make him better. You know, so I agree. Though I think his defense and stuff is also needed, you know, on the in the starting lineup, sort of. Yeah, I think De- Devin Harris is is still a better defender than Dennis is right now because Devin provides the off-ball intelligence. Yeah, but Devin is a great defender, so yeah, and he, he he's been playing a lot longer, of course. So yeah, and, I'm not. I know. So he can't play like he can't start or anything. So yeah, and honestly. At this point, I want to see the Luca three wings and Maxi lineup start. That's what I want. Yeah. Like, uh, let it be Luca Doncic at the 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 quote unquote one with uh, I guess Wes Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Maxi. I want that lineup. I want that lineup all the time. I'm not sure. I think Luca plays better with like an athletic uh, secondary playmaker next to him, though. I think and, and, the numbers don't so don't show it, and neither does the record. I guess I don't know. It just when Luca has to create for others and himself the whole game, he it, it kind of looks weird. And I think it's a lot easier when DSJ helps him with that. You know, I think DSJ is a lot more important than people give him credit. He's important. I just don't think his role is working for him. Let's yeah. see. Moving on to. Uh, Wes Matthews actually playing like an okay NBA player. Yeah, that's surprising me as well. Yeah, he's he's been playing really well lately, and I think this is the best he's played since he's been on the Mavs. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely surprising because, you know, he's got more time since his Achilles injury. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I also, Luka Doncic has made him much better. Yeah. I think the annoying thing about it is that we we will let him go maybe next year, and then he'll be like 10 times better than he's ever been on the Mavs on another team. That will really suck. Yeah, I'm not sure if he can be much better than he is right now on any team unless it's a championship team. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I still think he takes some 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 annoying shots, like not really smart shots. And I think he's still not really always trying on defense, even though he's, he's supposedly like a great defender. So he still annoys me. But yeah, I got to give him credit. Like he he's he's been shooting well and... Actually, he looks a bit faster than normal. Like when he's the ball, he looks more. All right. So from there, it got kind of cut off, and I had to go anyway, which is why we recorded the second part uh, a week later. I'm sorry for that. But so yeah, just enjoy part two, and we'll continue from where we left off. So this is part two of the Two Monte podcast. We did uh, part one last week. We uh. Max Levy. So I think we left off at like, I mean, I don't remember. I guess just kind of talk about like Zion. We haven't really talked about him a bit. What do you think of him? Um, I think based on what I've seen so far and just like the, all the crazy stuff you hear, just what he says. Even the things he says, like, catch your attention. Like, in an interview, he's like, I want to be just as good on defense as I am on offense. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. And then he's like, I want to be like, like, he's like, I want to make the right rotations. I want to learn how to play proper defense. I was like, oh, my freaking God. And then on top of all that, on offense, he's basically Draymond on, like, times 10,000. That's what his ceiling is going to be, is Draymond times 10,000. Like... You know, imagine Draymond driving to the rim, but now he can jump 48 inches and he weighs 280 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, oh, wait, it's right. He can cross you up, too. And he might even be able to hit a pull-up mid-range. Might even be able to do that. That's what Zion's ceiling could be. And he could potentially even get a three-pointer, but I don't want to lay that kind of prediction down. That's not logical right now. Um... Yeah, like, to me, based on everything, there is almost a zero circumstance where you're at number one. I'm saying don't pick Zion. Like, I couldn't think of one unless, like, Anthony Davis is being talked about in a trade, <laughs> which, you know, could happen. Yeah. I mean, it, that sounds really, really awesome. Uh, how, how how tall was he again? Is he like, he was like a 6'7", Small forward or something, right? Six, 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 seven. He's like literally on the offensively. He's like the Draymond a meter type of guy. So he basically plays like power forward mostly, or not? I mean, in college he plays wherever. In the NBA, okay. he should be playing power forward just because of his size, and because to be honest with you, like I mean, his size. I don't mean his height. Like you can get away with a lot of different heights at the power forward position. But his strength and his mobility and his versatility, that works best at the four. But at the same time, what I think might be the biggest threat in his offensive game is how he can play small ball five and be extremely effective against these slower-footed bigs. 
and really torch a lot of them. Yeah, it sounds like he can do that. Yeah, that, that's really awesome. Uh, so his three-point shot, what, what's his percentage like? It's basically? bad. It's like 17%. Like, he doesn't have it. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. What's Draymond Green's percentage like? You know that? Right now? Yeah, just like off the top of your head, you know. It's like 30. Okay, yeah, that's a lot better. But, number one, Draymond Green went to college for four years. And he's played in the league for like six or seven, right? Yeah, it sounds like Zion will get there, you know. I mean, he—I I wouldn't say like he will get there because that there's too many flaws in his jumper, and you just need to—you don't know if he's going to be in the right development environment, but he will have the chance for okay. sure. I mean, I, I like uh, like you said, you like uh, no uh, like you know uh, his comments, you know, about his defense and stuff. I like that always and. I've seen like one interview, I guess, and he was like pretty humble, but at the same time like very confident, and I like that as well. And it was always about his team and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, he, I really... he sounds like LeBron when he's talking in his interviews. Like that's the only part of the comparison I will continue preaching is that he talks the way LeBron kind of talks in an interview already. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I felt uh, like Mobamba had that a lot. That's why I really liked him last year. Like he, yeah, he, but the Mobamba um, didn't have this the ability. No, yeah, he he still has a lot of work to do. But like uh, I I I really like for a Mavericks prospect, you know, I really like like uh, his fit in terms of personality, you know. But I also realized that we would be like thinking for like at least one or two year, more years, you know, because he he really needs a development. And I'm I'm much more happy with Luca, of course. But like Zion, I I would really like let's say the Mavs would have a chance to uh, get him, of course not. But like, I I really like the sound of him, you know. Yeah. I mean, even if the Mavs did get Bamba and they tanked, they would still, even if they had the number one slot in the lottery, they would still only have a like a fourteen percent chance of the number one pick. Like those are terrible odds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. I love the Zion, like nobody's business, but unless your team is genuinely bad, you just need to get the talent you can get right now because Zion's going to be a nearly impossible get. And unless like there's one of those Wiggins draft day trades where like some kind of like mid-tier all-star like Kevin Love gets moved around or he's involved in a bigger trade to somehow land Anthony Davis, which doesn't seem likely or possible, like unless the Suns for some weird reason got Zion and then did Zion and Booker and Aiden for Anthony Davis. Like that's possible, but I don't know why they would do it. Yeah. I didn't see that happening either. Like Zion sounds like a much better prospect than the prospect from last year. So yeah, that's a smart idea. I mean, I'd say Zion's about in the same boat as Luca was for me because (laughs) Luca, even though Zion has a lot of advantages, Luca has the holy grail skill, just the the ability to do all these crazy off dribble shots from the three point range. That's incredible. And then the separation on a step back at his age, in especially, is literally like all star a level with that skill already. It's incredible. Which yeah. uh, that leads into our next topic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I just wanted to add a, a little quick that. Uh, that is still kind of weird that the Suns didn't really pick Luca. It's not even that he's like uh, better than we expected because, like, I mean, 
I've seen him play like for the Slovenian team and in for like Real Madrid a bit. And I've seen him do stuff that he does now. Of course, it's like gotten better, but like still, like I think he would have fit great with the Suns, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think the problem was Igor Kokoshkov had like zero input on the draft pick at all because he was the new head coach and like very few head coaches have real input on draft picks. Rick Carlisle is one of the head coaches that will because he's been with us for so long and he won the ring and stuff like that. But uh, especially new head coaches, but most head coaches in general don't have any control over their picks. So they kind of can just throw their hands up at the situation because I think Igor really wants Luca right about now. He wants his son back. Yeah. I mean, it kind of seemed like they signed Igor to just fit with Luca, you know? It kind of seemed like they were going to pick Luca after they signed Igor. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah, and I think they could have really made that system work too. But, you know. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> like, the crazy part is the Suns would probably still be a lottery team n- this year probably where the Mavs are at right now just because the West is so stacked and their team is even younger than us. Yeah. But like if they got to like mid lottery, like the somewhere like the nine to 14 range and they could probably get the center they would need. Like there's a couple guys that could really fill that role for them. Daniel Gafford is one of those guys that comes to mind. But, uh, you know, oh, well, instead they're going to be tanking, but now they need the they need that other score that can also initiate, and that prospect is basically Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to get Zion Williamson with these lottery odds? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think, yeah, the Suns basically are, like, tanking on purpose, purpose and I don't think Luca would really fit with that. I, I think... Lucas like the type of guy that like in a winning situation he would like play much better and the Mavs aren't really necessarily like winning crazy amounts or anything but like let's say the Mavs were like bottom in the West I think Lucas' confidence would like go uh, go down a lot you know yeah I think um, the Mavs they have a winning culture but they haven't put it together yet I think that's yeah. how I'd put it. Because uh, the problem with the Mavs is that they have a bunch of pieces that should be considerably better than they are. Like, Harrison Barnes needs to figure out what he's supposed to be doing instead of what he's doing a lot of the times, which is really mucking up our offense. I'm sick and tired of seeing Harrison Barnes drive from the top of the key and take a pull at mid-range when he doesn't have a mismatch. Or post up a guy when he doesn't have a mismatch. Like... That's not yeah. Harrison Barnes' game if we're being honest with ourselves. I mean, I can see that point, but he, he definitely proved that when he was like a, the leading scorer. You know, he can bust up against pretty much anyone. No, he can, but if we want to win, he can't do it. <laughs> I guess, yeah, because he like lost a lot, even though he scored a lot, yeah. Like, yeah. even when in his first season, we only won 33 games, and that was with this big crusade at the end of the season to recover for a terrible first start of the season where we lost, like, 17 games. I mean, I, I liked uh, how he looked uh, since uh, ESJ has been back, like, last, uh, yesterday, you know? Like, he, he was a lot of, like, layups and stuff. I like that. Well, there, it always seems like there's two Harrison Barnes on the floor. 
there's the good Harris. Like it used to be like the good West and the bad West. Now West has figured out what he's supposed to be doing 99% of the time, which has made me very happy and doesn't have the pitchforks out for him. I can't really have the pitchforks out for Harrison because he's not movable, but I am still kind of disappointed that he's taking these pull-up mid-ranges early in the shot clock or these post-ups against like Solomon Hill, who's still like six foot eight and has like you know a typical wing wingspan. Like you shouldn't be posting up against these sorts of guys that are your size. You need to be going for mismatches or driving to the rack. And I wish you would just learn how to pass better. Like, yeah, he's a bad passer. That's mostly what me, me. But I don't, I don't dislike him. I don't know. It's kind of depends on like the game. Like sometimes I'm really happy. With him. Sometimes I guess that happens. I I like the personality of that. So. And but he's he's a bad defense. So that's great. I mean, sometimes he is. You know. I think the best role for him, if we're being honest with ourselves, unless he can figure it out, is for him to be that Rudy Gay six-man off the bench. I mean, off the bench is the best role for him, or he needs to rediscover his warrior self. I mean, that also doesn't really feel like the best version of him, but it's also like I don't really think he, he knows his own, his own identity, you know? That's, that's the weird part. Well, here's the truth is that sometimes the best player, the best version of a player is not the most conducive to winning. Point, point in mind, for example, Marcus Smart. If he wanted to, he could easily average a lot more assists than he really does, and he could really play like a real point guard. But what gets the Celtics wins is him playing like an off-ball shooting guard who's super physical and just absolutely destroys any potential opposing offensive player, even if they're six foot ten, because he's just so ridiculously good on defense. It's literally insane. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some players you kind of think like they're taking like a step back, but they're playing more efficient than ever, you know, like Paul George a bit, I guess. He's playing a lot more off ball and basically sort of like going uh like back and forth with Westbrook, you know, like sometimes Westbrook uh scores a lot sometimes Paul George but it, it like it works it, it works uh really great for Paul George and I, I I would I wish like Harrison Barnes had a little bit of that you know well I mean Harrison Barnes just isn't Paul George so yeah that's not what I'm saying but no yeah. like I know but like at a certain point it's just like there's a reason why it's working in OKC and it's not working here it's because Paul George is Paul George and Harrison Barnes is Harrison Barnes like these are just sometimes these are just things you have to accept a little bit, but it's still frustrating. When Barnes's contract is up, he, he he probably he'll like switch teams. You know, I think it, it was great having him. You know, he, he like for the culture and stuff, and like we didn't really have anything because the Andre Jordan left and he, or he didn't go. You know, but like yeah, I think it just didn't really work. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Barnes, like I said, if he can rediscover his warrior self, because, you know, the, the key part of the warrior system is how willing they are to move the ball. Yeah. So if Harrison could understand, we need him to be like that again. But then we will reward you by giving you mismatches where you can do what you want scoring. But you need to understand that most of the time you you need to play like your warrior self. And I think 
if that we can get that in his head somehow, we can really make some changes. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he's doing it. He's doing that a bit, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. St- still, like you said, you know, there's two versions of him. But anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, do you think Luca would be an All Star this year? Not in this conference. I don't think so either. Like the weird thing is that Trey Young might have like a better chance no. because he's playing. No, because the Hawks are terrible. There's no chance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess neither have as a chance, but yeah, it sucks because Luca has been playing so well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if Luca was in the East, he'd have about three more wins and he would be a lock to make the All Star game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like also- almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um I also wanted to talk a bit about like how weird it is that the Slovenian national team hasn't qualified. You know, even though they of course even though they were European champions, it doesn't guarantee anything, of course, and Luca couldn't play and Goran Dragic. Yeah. And I don't think I don't know who played, but I would imagine Anthony Randolph didn't play because uh, he was with Real Madrid probably at the time. You know, yeah, if there's a bunch of players away on their club teams, you're kind of just left with who's your best amateurs. No, you're right. Yeah. It's, it, it really sucks because, like, I was really looking forward to uh, watching uh, Luca play. And I'm I'm not sure where the... where how, how, how it works with, like, the World Cup. I think it mostly... It's like some teams play here and then there. I think like, um, let's say like the Slovenian team would play in like Germany or uh, Belgium or I don't know. Uh, I, I would I would definitely go there. Like I really want to see Luca play. So that really sucks for me, but also just for watching on TV, you know, I would really like to see them. Yeah. So here are the players who played for Slovenia against Latvia in their most recent qualifier. I want to see if you've heard of any of these players because pretty much I have not. Because, like, they have, they're missing a lot more guys than just, like, their big three. All right. Yeah. First, Matic Rebic. No. Urban Dernick. I guess he sounds familiar. Wasn't he just, like, the, like, center of that team? Uh, He only played 11 minutes, so I don't know. Then, yeah. Ido Muric. No. Blas Mesecek. No. <laughs> Jan Kosi. No. Grigor Horovat. No. Mihaj Skedelejibda. <laughs> no. Blas Makovic. Uh, I guess that sounds familiar. He only played 13 minutes. I mean, yeah, okay, I guess not. Yeah, I, I don't really know much of these guys, I guess. Like, mostly. Okay, just- yeah, yeah, I just want to finish for emphasis. Yeah, sure. Vlatko Kenkar. All right, no. Gregor Glass. Nope. Alviaz Bratek. Nope. Jakob Sebacek, or whatever. No. Yeah. 
So let's see. There are a bunch of guys on this roster that are missing. You got um, Jakob Lazic is not playing. Ray Zagarash not playing. Um, D. Mitch not playing. Uh, you got uh, what's the dude's name that looks like he's a CIA agent? I don't know his name, but he just he's very specifically in my head as looking like a CIA agent. Like they're missing pretty much all of their best players from the Euro Basket, like any one of their top like seven or eight of their rotations. So what are, what are you gonna do? Because they're all busy at their pro clubs. Yeah, I think they really like need to change that, like you know the qualifiers, like just put it in like the summer or anything, or like. Why isn't like the World Cup qualifications just like based on the results of like the Euro Cup? That sounds like a lot more logical in my opinion. Well, I think they just want to operate it the way FIFA does, where uh, they force players to leave for international games. They don't force them to, but like it's an expected thing for players to leave their clubs to go to international games in soccer. But it's just not the same in basketball. Yeah, it's like. I think, like, especially if you're playing for, like, Real Madrid, I think it's, like, a lot more important to play for that than for your national team. Yeah. Even though yeah. it should be, but, yeah, it still is. Yeah. Well, I mean, not just Real Madrid, but if you're playing in any major European league, like Spanish league, Italian league, Greek league, Russian league, uh, German league, French league those sorts of leagues even israeli league you know stuff like that even the adriatic league like you just you're not going to leave that money because the fact of the matter is i'm almost certain these international teams don't pay the same like their international soccer teams do because those international soccer teams actually pay some decent some decent coin and like there's a lot more i guess you would say there's a lot more pride in representing your country in soccer than in basketball because nobody really cares like i haven't seen Giannis play for greece he didn't even play in the Eurobasket. Oh, that's true. I mean, I I think I've seen him play for the World Cup once, like in this one, his first or second season, you know. But not anymore, because now he's like basically almost the MVP of the NBA. Kind of weird. I mean, you would think that Giannis would really love to play for Greece, yeah, you know. But yeah. Well, I mean, Greece was a struggle for him. Like that was that was the cause of a lot of hardship in his life. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And I guess his family mostly is from somewhere in Africa. I don't really know. Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah. So I guess, if anything, he might want to play for Nigeria more than Greece. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he didn't really live in Greece. I mean, he didn't really live in Nigeria. He moved to Greece when he was super young, so he doesn't really have any reference of Nigeria. The only person in his family other than the parents that have any reference of Nigeria is his older brother, like, not Thanasis, but, like, the older, older brother, uh, Francis, the soccer player. Oh, I haven't even heard of him. Is he, like, any good at soccer? No, he's playing in, like, the second or third Greek league, and it's impossible to find any footage or even right. a picture of him. It's still, like, impressive that, that, that like, most of these brothers, like, uh, play professional basketball, like Kostas, Nemo, and, like, Thanasis. I mean, Thanasis isn't that good anymore. But I think he still plays overseas, right? I would I would define him as a good enough basketball player because like he's still I think he's in like the French league or something. Like let me check. Thanasis Akenakupo Antetokounmpo is and Panathinaikos one of the best teams in Greece. Yeah. 
That's right. that's really good. Like that's a traditional European powerhouse. Yeah. I mean that's decent, yeah. Yeah, and then on top of that, um you still have Alex Antetokounmpo who's like 16 and oh, he yeah. might be a prospect in like the 2020 2021 NBA draft. And he's basically he, he could be like a first rounder if he keeps it up, right? Uh it's too way too far away to say something like that. I mean, you could say it of LeBron like uh, when he was a kid, but that's kind of unique. That's LeBron. And yeah. Le- LeBron wasn't even hyped until he was like 17 and yeah. stuff like that. And LeBron was different because if we're being honest with ourselves, even if LeBron did all the exact same things on the court, if ESPN didn't latch on with so much ridiculous hype, I would find it it'd be a lot harder to believe if he actually went number one because most teens were pretty hesitant to pick high school players like that early unless they were like i guess you could say considerably more proven i i don't like i don't remember where kevin garnett got picked but he was a high school player kobe got picked like 13th yeah and uh he was like a really amazing high school player kevin garnett got picked fifth so like right. if KG got picked fifth, and I would say almost certainly he was the best player in that class. Like I don't know if LeBron would have gotten picked first. Maybe he gets picked third. You know, uh, maybe uh, well, like imagine if Darko Milicic goes first in that class. Yeah. I mean, what's I hear I hear a lot a lot of people like saying like uh, Darko Milicic they they give him this like an example for like bad European players what's the deal with him ex- exactly uh to be honest the problem with Darko Milicic was at that time European scouting was considerably less developed and they took uh what's the right word poorly informed gamble because they didn't really know much about him compared to like what teams know now about players like it was it would have been like Dirk Nowitzki would have been just as bad of a gamble, except for the fact that he came to the U.S. to play in the Hoop Summit. So uh, he they had a much better reference on him playing against American players, and they got a chance to talk to him in some interviews and stuff like this. Like, if Dirk didn't come to the Hoop Summit, I'm not sure if he would have gotten picked in the lottery. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, it's still kind of weird how a lot of people think the scouting in Europe is just as bad and it's still just as much as a gamble. It's like, it's not a gamble at all anymore. Like, they oh, know no. just as, as college not. players. Like, um, here's the thing. Right after the 2000, like in 2003, the, that was the first year of Eurocamp that was set up by uh, Pete Philo, who runs TPG Sports, a uh, company I support and am, uh, what's the right word, a patron of with some of their content i would recommend checking it out if you're looking to get some inside information on how the nba works uh and some various dealings with scouting and stuff like that but regardless he's he set up the first euro camp uh with some other nba executives and european executives and that was like the first time you had like an nba combine setting for european players all right yeah I mean, yeah, since then it's, it's gotten better, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like you said, I mean, it sounds like Donny visited Germany a lot, like for Dirk, you know? So I guess the scouting was pretty decent for the Mavericks, at least. Yeah. Well, the, the Mavericks didn't pick up on Dirk really until he arrived in the U.S. for the Hoop Summit, from what the stories say. 
including what the general managers are saying. Like Donnie said, he first picked on up on him at when he like heard he was coming over, and like the uh, foreign team just happened to be practicing in Dallas, so it just worked out perfectly. So they got an inside look at him early. Oh wow! Yeah, but after that, they visited him in in Germany, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The 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 hoop sum was like the first in person encounter though. Yeah, so I guess. Yeah, Dirk had that advantage that he like he he like showed up in the, in the hoop summit. Yeah, he dropped like I believe it was like thirty five or forty points, and he had like twenty like he had like it was like nineteen or twenty of twenty three or twenty two from the free throw line. It was insane. Wasn't it like that? Charles Barkley was watching that, and he like years later he talked about like how he watched that, and he was like, "Oh, this white kid is like scoring thirty five points on us." Like wasn't uh, it what what happened with Charles Barkley was Barkley and a bunch of other NBA All Stars, including Scottie Pippen, came over to Germany for like this uh, exhibition tour, and Dirk actually played in one of those games against him, and Dirk dropped like twenty six, thought like twenty four or twenty five on Scottie Pippen, guarding him the entire time in the first half. And then the second half, he's like, like uh, Scotty Pippen said at halftime, I'm going to lock him down in the second half. I'm going to lock him down in the second half. And then Charles Barkley is like, he finished the game with like 52. And he's like, uh, I want to get this guy to Auburn and stuff like this. Like, that's what he was saying. Like, he, there's even public interviews where he's saying, I want to get Dirk Nowitzki to go to Auburn. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Scotty Pippen, I think, is, is Dirk's favorite player. So it, it kind of makes sense, you know. But also, like, Dirk struggled his first year a bit, so it's kind of weird how he, like, got motivated from it. You would, like, expect him to be, like, really nervous, you know? Well, I mean, it was an exhibition game, and there's very little footage of it. I guess so. I guess it's more, like, with crowds and stuff for him, yeah. Well, I mean, in when he came to the NBA, there was a bunch of other things, like, just adjusting to being in the United States of America. <laughs> like, at that time, it was entirely yeah. different. I've heard that as well, yeah. Like, and then on on top of that, you just have, there's so much extra pressure with being in the NBA whenever you're coming in from a second division team in Germany. Yeah, so I've heard a lot that, like, once, uh, like, a a German uh, sports player is, like, really good at a sport that doesn't really get that much coverage, the media is, like, all over that person. And I think Dirk got a lot of that. Like, he got, like, so much pressure from Germany, I think, like, in his first year. Yeah, well, there's really two. There's uh, Dirk and there's, like, Boris Becker. Like, both of them are, like, around the same time. Like, Dirk, like, Boris Becker, I think, was first. But, like, that was, like, the tennis took over the country and Dirk wanted to play tennis. And then Dirk took over basketball and now Germany's basketball crazy. Like, for the amount of size their gyms have, they're always, like, selling out their seats. It's crazy, even in second division teams. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, like. In the Netherlands here, we're we're pretty similar. Like once, like some player, like like we have that, like with the Formula One, like we have that guy Max Verstappen, and like he, what, as soon as he was like really good here, everybody just watched this uh, Formula One here. It's really insane. Like just because of one person, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then well, Germany Dirk wasn't the first guy. You had Detlef Schrempf, but yeah, that's, 
Yeah, but he didn't really have the same like hype and stuff, I guess. No, no. But if Shrimp won that 1996 title with Peyton and Kemp over Michael Jordan, you bet your butt that uh, Germany would have been big on basketball for a long time. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Hey, so um, my second favorite team basically is the like the New York Knicks, and I was kind of wondering which prospect you like see fit best with the Knicks this year. And I think well, Zion probably yeah. doesn't end, so like besides Zion, I guess. Well, I mean, like if you want me to say besides Zion, because I'm gonna be real with you, there's almost zero circumstance where I'm not taking Zion at number one. So. No, of course. But like, let's say the Knicks have like the second or third pick, like. Oh, gee, that's hard. Just because, the like, the honestly, between two and seven, there's like you could convince me of putting any of those guys at number two, because like the season's gonna fluctuate so much between now and then, and we're gonna see so much more of these guys' games. Um, it depends. Like, do they want a guy who is gonna be ultra talented, but it's gonna require a lot of work? especially as Christos Porzingis is coming back and they're looking to sign Kevin Durant, do they have time to invest in that sort of player? Or do they want a player that can contribute right away and still has lots of potential, but, you know, maybe isn't like the guy is going to be the kind of guy that might be underrated for his entire career. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I think they were kind of looking at that with Kevin Knox and, and uh, Neely Kina, like kind of someone who would like fit with uh, alongside other stars, you know? Yeah, but- I mean, here's the, the, the tragedy with that is the Crip Stops injury is like super poorly timed because if Chris Stops got injured earlier in the season last year, the Knicks could have had like a top five pick. And Chris Dodd is going to come back in like February, probably. And the Knicks will probably fall out of the top five. And they're kind of getting screwed, to be honest. So I don't think they're going to be in a position to have that great of a pick. No, I guess so. I mean, it's kind of similar to last year. Yeah. Like, basically, they're going to have to like get an underrated guy who just like does like one or two things really well. Like, basically, how Nilikina and Kevin Knox are. Again, but I guess that fits once you have some stars around, it. and maybe they'll turn out to be like greater than you expected. You know, the only like so imagine if the Knicks actually got Kevin Durant, I would be depressed. Yeah, I think I think me too. Just because I don't really like Kevin Durant, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be depressed for other reasons, like the Knicks once again getting away with getting this big-time superstar whenever the Knicks have had so much. It's like they deserve to suck for once. Oh, that's, that's fair. Yeah, even though I'm basically a Knicks fan, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Like The same with like the Lakers now. It's kind of they were bad for for a while, and now they got LeBron. That's, that's not really fair at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's – yeah, but at least they – the thing with the Lakers is that you're never going to stop the Lakers. And the Lakers did a lot of the stuff of getting stuff in their advantage on their own. The NBA did a lot of stuff for the Knicks. Like Patrick Ewing, for example. Yeah. You know the story behind that, right? Yeah, I think you told that in, in part one, right? I might have. Um, like, yeah, how, 
that rate and stuff. Yeah, anyway, if you don't know about it, just look up the Ben Envelope story, people. You, you'll find it pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, I'm... I, I guess mean, with the David, Lakers, you just kind of take the L. Yeah. I mean, you gave a pretty solid answer about the Knicks prospect because it's basically like it really depends on where they finish and like so many players are like equally good, like you said. So it I wouldn't really say equally good, but equally selectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, personally, if they want to get a point guard, which I think they could really use a point guard, I'd be really interested in them getting their hands on either John ja Morant or Jared Culver. All right, and why? <laughs> Uh, well, John Morant, if they wanted to go for a crazy ceiling point guard, John Morant is like, uh, he's like Dennis Jr. if he had significantly better feel. Okay, I guess that really fits with the Knicks, and it's kind of ironic because I really wanted Dennis Jr., of course. But uh, he, I wouldn't. He doesn't like leap forty-eight inches, but like he's still pretty athletic, and he's, I would say, he's a bit quicker in the open court. But uh, his defense is still terrible. No, okay, yeah. Whereas uh, Jarrett Culver, his thing is he's like six foot five, and he's like already learning how to hit pull up mid ranges and pull up threes, and he's a sophomore. And he's six foot five. He plays good defense. He's still skinny, like he has a lot of potential too, and. He has he's not like athletic in like any like high level way, but in the things he is athletic in, like he can get off the ground quickly, even though he can't rise very high. He can accelerate to his top speed quickly, even though he's not very fast. He's very agile. He's like he's the the right type of field player that you want to have that can like be that that long term experienced player that can really take advantage of things that you wouldn't expect from a guy who's so young. Yeah. Like right. I always say, like the people who are like don't expect rookies to be good right away. You got to find the the rookies who are have a good feel for the game because those rookies always some always have a lot of advantages and especially if they're coachable, which almost ninety nine percent of the time a rookie with a good feel for the game is very coachable. You can really mold them into whatever you need them to be, and that's like that's why I'm a big fan of Jarrett Culver. Not to mention his jumper is just significantly better. And he can actually defend. Yeah. All right, so Dennis Smith Jr., he was back uh, in the Pelicans game, in his first game back. Some of the things I really liked, I really liked how he was aggressive driving to the basket. I really liked how he played significantly more within himself except at the end. Yeah. At the end, he decided to take the step back three, which I was not a fan of at all. And that really frustrated me. And... I don't know why he keeps trying to take those shots because that's not who he is. Like, I'm not saying Dennis Smith Jr. isn't a clutch player, but he is not a player that makes step back threes. And uh, it's frustrating to see that. But the end of the game was not his fault. That was Rick Carlisle's fault. You can see some other podcasts talking about that. We're not going to go too in depth about that here because it causes me too much grief. Um, in terms of trading Dennis Smith Jr., I wouldn't even think about it until the draft draft night. And right now, I'm leaning towards not trading him just based off last night alone and the fact that he's finally seems to be healthy but i wouldn't even consider pulling the move no matter what the circumstances unless there's some kind of locker room problems which don't seem to exist otherwise don't trade him until draft night and yeah 
No, I agree with basically everything you said, except that I guess I think he he he's a, he's able to to like uh, shoot like difficult shots, you know, like. Oh uh, no, he, he can hit yeah, step back shots, but not step back threes. That's not his shot. That's true. Yeah, step back mid range jumpers are more his thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm I'm just saying at the end of the game when Luka Doncic is hot and he's been hitting threes all night, and you're down two, you should be giving Luka Doncic to win the game or tie the game. Or at the very least, don't set him up at half court where he needs to sprint to the basket LeBron style where the entire point is for him to get momentum so he can get going downhill. That's not what Luka Doncic is, and he shouldn't be asked to do that. So that was the ending of Too Much Monte podcast. If you want to check out Max Levy on Twitter, it's at RangersKing669. Also, he's a scout and he writes for the Dallas Prospect. And for Lockdraft, he's also the host of the Third Round Picks podcast. So check him out. Thanks for listening.